0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions where we talk about American politics, power and prejudices. This year, 2024, is an election year, so we are going to bring you two podcasts a week rather than the usual one on average, and I hope you enjoy listening to them all. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Peter Wood, who is president of the National Association of Scholars. In America, obviously. And we are going to be talking about the resignation of Claudine Gay, who was until very recently Harvard's president. uh, And she has uh, left the post um, after being accused of plagiarism. Uh, And there's been a tremendous fuss in America about it this week. Uh, Peter, for our British listeners, uh, could you please give us a, a sort of overview of the story and what's happened so far?
1: Yes, uh, a scholar named, or a, a journalist named Chris Rufo discovered and published uh, evidence that Claudine Gay had plagiarized portions of her Harvard PhD dissertation from the late 1990s. Uh, less than a day after that, a journalist at the uh, Washington uh, Examiner, I think it was, Uh, published a story in which uh, he documented extensive plagiarism in four of President Gay's 11 published uh, articles in academic journals. Uh, Since that time, others have discovered additional instances of plagiarism, both in the journals, the dissertation, and in other published journals. So half of her material now, more than half of her published articles have documented plagiarism in them and her dissertation has been vitiated by academic dishonesty.
0: Well and I've seen that she's written a response in the New York Times and there's been lots of uh, comment in kind of what people like to call legacy media uh, about this story suggesting that she was the victim of a kind of right-wing hit job. I mean, she said she was part of a of a broader war that um, conservatives are fighting—a broader culture war. Um, what's your view
1: on that? Well, she's by no means a victim; she's a perpetrator. But it is true that there is something broader going on here than simply the exposure of a dishonest academic. Uh, the story really involves how uh, President Gay was chosen to be president of Harvard. She had campaigned for a number of years as a champion of the diversity, equity, inclusion movement, including a a letter that she'd written in August of 2020 to the entire faculty of the College of uh, Arts and Sciences at Harvard, in which she laid out an ambitious plan to uh, eliminate the scourge of white supremacy, which she characterized as the the second pandemic. And this would require using extensive racial preferences in hiring faculty members, in uh, uh, bringing in postgraduate fellows, uh, student admissions overall, the non-faculty staff of the university would be selected and, and promoted on the fast track on the basis of race And she was concerned about the appearances on campus of uh, buildings named after and portraits of white people that had to be replaced in a manner that would make uh, people of color feel more comfortable at the institution. This was a a sort of breathtakingly broad idea of transforming Harvard University from a place that prioritized the pursuit of truth. The uh, 350 some year old motto of the university is Veritas. And this was now to be Uh, an institution that was primarily concerned with uh, Gay's version of social justice and everything else would go by the boards. So what else is going on? What else is going on is an effort to push back against this uh, uh, revolution at Harvard.
0: Yes. Do you think perhaps uh, just in terms of her mistakes, just from a purely careerist point of view, not from a moral point of view, uh, do you think perhaps her bigger mistake was not the uh, white supremacy DEI stuff, which, although I see there is a pushback against it this year, and we'll, let's get on to that. Uh, her big mistake was to do with uh, October seventh and the response of Harvard, both on the campus and from the authorities, uh, which Gay was the ultimate authority as president. That Harvard was seen to be uh, endorsing antisemitism, and that that led to another pushback against her.
1: Right. Well, the very same day that Hamas engaged in its atrocities in Israel, later that day, a bunch of Harvard students came forward representing, I think it was 34 student organizations pronouncing that Hamas was in the right, and this was an appropriate action to take against the colonial power of Israel. Um, When that happened, uh, Gay's immediate response was to defend the rights of free speech of these pro-Hamas demonstrators and saying not a word about the danger they posed calling for the murder of Jews to Jewish members of the faculty and student body at Harvard. The reaction to her uh, uh, non-interest in uh, that uh, important detail was very swift and within about another day of that, she issued a, a temporizing statement in which she seemed to be saying that, well, mass murder is not quite as good as I thought it was, but and we do need to defend the Jewish students at Harvard. That didn't sit well either. It was seen as an anemic response to uh, a very grave provocation. And uh, soon after, she issued yet another statement, uh, which had a little bit more spine in it, but not that much. I think she was correctly seen by the, the Jewish community at Harvard as a uh, not a friend, but maybe somebody who could be pushed into uh, saying at least a few things in support of uh, uh, fairness and justice. And that was about it. That's how things stood. There, there were uh, uh, significant major donors to Harvard University who pulled back their money. There was a flurry of criticism, at least in the conservative press in the US, but she didn't back down in any significant way at all. And that went forward until her uh, testimony, along with two other college presidents at the uh, House of Representatives Committee on Education and the Workforce, where a a congresswoman from New York, Elaine uh, Stefanik, asked her some pointed questions about whether it was in violation of Harvard's anti-harassment policy to allow death threats to be made against the, the Jewish students. She could not find it in herself to say that there was uh, any significant violation of Harvard's disciplinary policies. Uh, Her answer there, where she echoed the two other uh, college presidents, was that it depends on context. And uh, Stefanik appropriately asked, in what context is it appropriate to call for genocide, for which she really had no answer at all.
0: Well, that leads us on to uh, a rather sensitive area, which uh, people um, are very nervous to tread on, so perhaps we should be too. But, and that's uh, the anti-Semitism of black leaders in, in America, uh, often on the progressive radical left. And for decades, a lot of people say, uh, these figures have gotten away with saying quite viciously anti-Semitic things, and that's no longer the case, or seems to be stopping a little bit, would you say?
1: Well, it's put the brakes on the anti-Semitism that is a, I don't know, it's an ancient part of the uh, uh, black American community, but it's been long standing. We had uh, anti-Semitic riots in the black community here in uh, the 1960s and 70s. And it's sort of uh, deeply rooted within uh, that community, the I I would not go so far to say that all the prominent black leaders in the U.S. uh, have a covert anti-Semitic agenda, but some do, and those are the ones who are most prominent on the left. Mm. At the moment, we also have the issue of uh, the 1619 Project, uh, the New York Times celebrated journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones. We have uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, Between the World and Me, a memoir that he puts forward which essentially claims that all of white america is racist and then uh, Ibram X Kendi whose uh, work has launched the uh, the idea that anti-racism involves uh, installing a regime of racial preferences that is pro black now those are probably the three leading intellectual figures if they can be called that in the american black community and all three of them uh, traffic in at least undertones and sometimes rather explicitly in uh, anti-Semitism. And, and that's not to mention people like Jesse Jackson, who's had a, a very long history of anti-Semitic uh, maneuvering in his public statements.
0: Christopher Rufo, the journalist who sort of first uh, exposed uh, gay's plagiarism, you, you mentioned him earlier. He uh, has already been accused of being a, a Russian spy, I think, for his for his journalism on this, um, which I suppose is fairly typical. But he also has written a very interesting essay, quite a radical essay, in a new conservative uh, magazine called IM 1776. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that essay, but it really is quite radical, so much so that you can't really necessarily say it's conservative. And I think even within the piece, he addresses that, that he thinks the time has come for the, the left-wing in- takeover of America's institutions is so complete that uh, the right no longer needs conservatism. They need a new kind of radicalism to march back through the institutions. And I suppose a lot of people will see his uh, scalp, as, uh, as it's been called controversially, of Claudine Gay as, as a first blow in his war against America's progressive woke institutions.
1: Well, first, I'm not familiar with that particular essay, although I know Christopher and I've read quite a bit of his other writings. So I, I get that idea. My own organization, the National Association of Scholars, is devoted to uh, reform of higher education, not its uh, eradication and replacement. Although uh, I have many members who have some sympathy for the idea that the leftist uh, control of the institutions is now so deeply entrenched that uh, something fairly radical will be needed to displace it. I should say that uh, Christopher was by far the first on the scene to report the plagiarism. He wasn't the first to notice it. That was back in October when uh, several of us had hands on this material and were working to find somewhere in the mainstream press uh, that would uh, agree to publish it. The newspaper here in new york city the new york post had the material uh, they conferred with me about it and with other scholars who confirmed that it was plagiarism but were scared off the story because the harvard hit them with a an attorney who said that he would sue them for defamation if they ran it so they were uh, holding their peace for a while so the word has been out among a fair number of us that a major plagiarism scandal was in the offing we were just waiting for the moment when the story would broke and Christopher was the first to do that. Uh, so, sorry, just to confirm,
0: that's very interesting. You, 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 people within the National Association of Scholars had this information as far back as when, as uh, late last year.
1: Uh, no, uh, mid mid October.
0: Mid October, and I mean that I can't help noticing is a few days after uh, October seventh and the row we were talking about. Then uh, there will be people who will conclude that it may have been. Uh, non-journalistic actors providing that information? Do you, do you know whether it was or wasn't?
1: It was certainly non-journalistic actors. It was uh, uh, professors, academics, who had uh, first taken notice of the uh, plagiarized material, but who were in no position to uh, bring it to public attention. For one thing, bringing it to public attention could be a career-ending movement by them. So the effort was to find some someone who could projected to the public. I was approached on this because I'm independent. I'm working. It's the head of a, uh, a non-profit organization that works on academic reform, but I don't have command of the major media. So I could contact journalists, but we were really looking for a, a major newspaper that would say, here's the material, take a look at it. Mm. Um, Christopher Ruffo forced their hand by putting out material and then working hard to uh, draw broader public attention to it. So hats off to him.
0: Well, let's talk about this counter-revolution that seems to be in the offing and seems to be already a theme of this year, particularly with an election uh, coming up and the cultural wars that were bound to surround that. There does seem to be quite a lot of energy on the right now for fighting, for not not, um, violence, um, let's hope, but for uh, fighting back, is, is Trump talked about it a lot? And a lot of Trump supporters are talking about it. But now it's not necessarily um, MAGA Republicans or whatever you want to call them. It's uh, often very liberal people who are just fed up of this progressive indoctrination in universities and this chokehold um, that the the radical left has over America's higher institutions.
1: Well, uh, a good number of the supporters of my organization consider themselves to be liberals. Uh, We don't identify with party or or with an an ism, but uh, clearly there is a a broad disgust with the uh, willingness of the academic left to engage in censorship, to prevent the expression of opinions which are at odds with uh, what passes as the party line for the moment, but there's also the issue of uh, faculty members who cannot get started in their careers or continue in their careers because they uh, drift away from the established line. That brings us back to the the diversity, equity, inclusion business. Uh, We deal with faculty members. Uh, Right now, I'm in the midst of a case with a a fellow at uh, Ohio Northern University, not a terribly distinguished place, but he decided that he would oppose that institution's DEI rules. And for his efforts, he was fired as a tenured professor to be fired is a rather relatively unusual thing in the US. Mm. But that shows you the the degree of vehemence with which the DEI agenda is now advanced, merely to question it is to put your career at risk, uh, or worse. So this Ferment leading to something like revolutionary desire to change the university is quite real. It is not, however, preeminent within any college or university that I know about. There, the DEI agenda, the fight against racism, as it is perceived, is taken to be a a nearly holy cause, which is grounds for taking almost any kind of action against the dissenters. So speaking for the dissenters, which I will say are, are not simply conservative, and they're certainly not a uh, merely a right-wing bunch, although there's a right-wing element to it, uh, we are the people who think that American higher education should be founded in the pursuit of truth, that intellectual freedom is a key value, that understanding the role of universities in Uh, helping to sustain our civilization from generation to generation are all great and good things, that uh, those have become compromised by a willingness to direct the energies of the university into propagandizing students in favor of various left-wing causes uh, is the essential problem. Now, we don't all agree on what all those issues are. Uh, I mentioned the DEI piece, but There is also the question of whether uh, climate alarmism has been given too privileged a place on the college campuses. Uh, I'm among those who think that the global warming talking points have been wildly exaggerated. Uh, We have seen the way in which universities and their faculties broadly cooperated with the U.S. government's efforts to turn the COVID crisis into a mass hysteria. This is... uh, Uh, one of a number of pieces, one might mention the willingness of universities to embrace the cause of transgenderism and various forms of radical feminism, which again become uh, orthodoxies that uh, can crush the careers of anybody who wishes as they should be able to, to dissent, to raise questions, to express uh, uh, admonition over our willingness to accept talking points without evidence and without good scrutiny of the arguments put in favor of those causes. So all those things together wrap up into a broad left wing agenda that has become uh, too settled on the university campus. No one is calling for the uh, suppression of the people who favor those views. But to have those views treated as uh, sacred cows that can't be questioned at all uh, has become intolerable something has to change now uh driving claudine gay out of the presidency of harvard is a symbolic victory it doesn't amount to a great change in harvard itself which decided to uh, overlook her plagiarism and move her over to the political science department where she could keep her $900,000 a year salary and continue to practice what looks to most of us as a career of academic dishonesty Uh, Over 700 Harvard faculty members signed a a letter agreeing to support Claudine Gay. This is before her resignation, but it tells you that the the rot is broad and deep at Harvard. um, And what is going on there is hardly any different from what's going on at um, America's other brand name universities, especially in the Ivy League
0: and and of course uh, all the objections to her dismissal or or resignation uh, suggested that uh, the motive against her the motives against her were racist and racism um which is inevitable isn't it that that is that is the response
1: well yes uh, any of us who speak out realize that if we get the better argument we will be met simply with the accusation that Uh, you are racist. It has been so overused that I think it has lost most of its uh, emotional power at this point. Uh, Mm. We're indifferent to being called racist because we know we're not. And racism here is merely the, the, as uh, Dr. Johnson said, of patriotism being the last refuge of scoundrels. uh, The accusation of racism has become the last refuge of America's academic scoundrels.
0: Yeah. You mentioned uh, tenure, though, a, a tenured professor who was dismissed in spite of his tenure. But, I mean, we well, we both know Roger Kimball, I think, who wrote the book Tenured Radicals. But today, do you not think that tenure is the, the only thing really protecting conservatives on campus?
1: Well, I have uh, members of my organisation who are tenured professors who plead with me, don't criticise tenure because... It's the only thing keeping us in our positions. My answer to them is no, it's not. The only thing that keeps you in your position is your willingness to be outspoken in your opposition because it's much more difficult to fire a faculty member uh, who has become publicly identified as a conservative than it is to fire a, a tenured faculty member. The tenured faculty member's protections are proving to be very flimsy and that's, uh, I think, it's, it's just better to position yourself as someone uh, too publicly well known to be fired than to uh, go after the, the uh, safe harbor of tenure. It won't protect you anymore.
0: And you say anymore, just out of curiosity, has, has something changed? I mean, has the nature of tenure changed?
1: Well, tenure is, of course, a, a legal fiction of sorts. Uh, universities have their uh, uh, rules of employment, they promise tenure to candidates who pass very stringent tests. But what we've seen, first of all, was the dilution of tenure in which individuals like Claudine Gay, who by no stretch of the imagination came close to meeting the standards for tenure, were given tenure. That was oftentimes uh, connected to racial privilege. treating blacks with a lower standard of, of uh, admissibility than others. Um, and then it spread that the the ideologically uh, aligned groups that could uh, expect rightly, think, I think, the allegiance of uh, others in their uh, cohort were able to gain the tenure system to gain positions for people in women's studies, black studies, Hispanic studies, queer studies, and on down the line. With that dilution of what tenure is to become a a blanket to protect uh, those in the uh, category of aggrieved minorities, the use of tenure as a uh, way to recognize the faculty members who had risen to the traditional standards uh, was already weakened. It then came the realization that there were ways to subvert their tenure. Uh, The favorite tactic of the moment is to declare that uh, the the tenured faculty member who speaks out on one of these sacred causes uh, is guilty of uh, lack of collegiality, uh, lack of respect for fellow faculty members or students, and therefore uh, someone who trades in hate speech and is a danger to the community so uh, tenure never mind uh, we need to protect uh, people from the terrible things that you might think or say now until as recently as about a year ago that theory of a, uh, a loophole in tenure had no legal status but it has now been tried in uh, at least one court i think that was in north carolina or the court agreed with the university. Yeah, this is a good reason to get rid of people. The uh, folks in Ohio, at Ohio Northern University who are going after this law professor named Scott Gerber are trying the same tactic. Uh, The reason to get rid of him is uh, his uh, uncollegiality. and, And what does that consist of? It consists of his descending from the DEI orthodoxy. I should mention that this particular faculty member was a star teacher and the most productive academic in the whole university there with many books and many peer-reviewed articles didn't matter his his lack of collegiality doomed him
0: and we've talked about dei there uh i i mean i think i'm right in thinking that dei is the sort of fruit of decades of affirmative action uh in america or or the, the 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 climax of it in a way because Uh, When America's politicians started introducing affirmative action measures uh, in the 70s, it was understood and it was argued that it wouldn't be necessary to to do affirmative action in the long term and that indeed if it were, then it should never be done. Do you think perhaps what we're seeing is that affirmative action has run out of road because it's only hardened into the DEI agenda and actually the, the logical reasons for doing it have gone?
1: Well, the the affirmative action agenda ran out of road a long time ago. Uh, In fact, if you go back to the late 1970s, it looked as though the Supreme Court was going to say uh, the sails of that ship had to be trimmed. That was the famous Bakke case um, in which uh, a white applicant to medical school with sterling credentials was turned down in favor of several minority applicants. And uh, Baki prevailed at the Supreme Court, but it produced this odd decision in which one of the justices, uh, Justice Lewis Powell, pronounced an opinion which is said that the University of California, which was the institution that had declined to admit Baki, uh, could have won the case had it argued it on different grounds, that instead of... uh, seeking social justice for minorities. It should have said that it was seeking diversity, and diversity would be something that would enhance the education of everyone, uh, black, white, and otherwise, because uh, it was just a better way to educate people. Mm. Um, It took higher education only a few years to realize affirmative action had run out of roads, so now they were going to switch to diversity and diversity became the calling card for racial preferences. For pretty much two decades, the diversity movement itself became uh, such a sham that people realized, well, this isn't about admitting people who are just in need of a helping hand and will do just fine when they get here. It ushered in an era of double standards and lower standards, So then we began this slide over to, well, diversity itself isn't getting us what we want, so we will add uh, two more words to the list, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, All of these sound like benign things, but if you get to know what they really mean, they're not so benign. Uh, Equity means uh, instead of pursuing equality for people, uh, we are going to pursue uh, equality of outcomes Uh, if there are... uh, uh, 15% 15% of the population that's black, we wanna be sure that 15% of everything in the university is also black. Uh, inclusion is an even more mischievous term. Uh, what it means is that the standards by which uh, we judged you in the past are no longer operative. To be included is to be judged by your own standards and the standards of the black community may be somewhat different from those of the white community. So there we we begin the uh, Uh, march into the idea that um, it's white privilege to expect honesty or white privilege to expect timeliness or white privilege to uh, grade people uh, by the results of uh, a single test given blindly to the whole population. My identity group deserves to choose what its own standards will be, and that's what inclusion means. When you put those three things together, it is simply a wrecking ball the whole idea of a university based on disinterested scholarship in pursuit of truth. Uh, That's gone away. Claudine Gay, for example, when she was trying to recover from her disastrous testimony at the House Education and Workforce Committee, said that uh, she had to speak my truth as though uh, her personal truth was somehow different from the truth. And uh, but there we are. That's entirely consistent with the DEI agenda.
0: A lot of the argument for uh, affirmative action going into DEI has always been, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Uh, And that, you know, uh, people of minority backgrounds uh, would uh, be inspired um, by seeing uh, people that look like them in positions of power and authority. How do you respond to that? Is that just more racial thinking uh, disguised as
1: progress? Yes, it is just racial thinking disguised as progress, and anyone can be inspired by anyone whose success uh, stands out as uh, something to be emulated. And um, the the idea that uh, uh, one might find people with the same melanin level in their skin as more inspiring than those who aren't is uh, certainly actively promoted by the race hustlers in America. but it's just not true. The, uh, we go back to uh, the early 20th century when uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, du Bois, I think he says it, uh, the uh, author of Souls of Black Folks and one of the first, I think the first black faculty member at Harvard, uh, begins his his major work with his confession that he can sit down with Dante and Dante sees no color. And likewise, the American classics are open to um, anyone who recognizes the classics as such, whether they're American or European or uh, African or, or otherwise. Um, that readiness of the academic world to judge people on the merits of their ideas is really what's at stake with this notion that you have to be inspired by someone who looks like you or has some uh, ethnic uh, connection to you. Um, it's an unfortunate lie in that it poisons the minds of young people who say, oh, why should I bother if I don't see uh, a sufficient number of like-looking people in positions of power? Well, um, we have had people in positions of power. Uh, one might think, for example, of President Barack Obama. Uh, that doesn't seem to have inspired a great outpouring of uh, renewed effort on the parts of uh, young Black children to do better in schools. And one can ask, you know, why not? Well, there are complicated social social reasons there to be taken into account, uh, the most important of which is the breakdown of the Black family, uh, the fatherlessness of so many children. And you know, we can ask why that is. Well, that goes back to the very beginnings of affirmative action with the idea that um, The the black bourgeois family was now to be replaced by uh, aid to women with dependent children and uh, fathers were just a recipe for losing welfare benefits. A social history there that really needs to be attended to carefully to realize what terrible mistakes we've made in social engineering over the last more than half century that cannot easily be undone at this point. you've grown up fatherless, you're not suddenly going to gain a father. But uh, the result of this has been a hugely defensive attitude on the part of the black community. Don't blame the victim. Well, um, one does not want to blame the victim, but one has to realize that some forms of victimhood are not easily reversed, and that uh, the real challenge right now is to figure out how to construct a society that is more equitable in the genuine sense of the word. People deserve a fair chance at a start in life, and that requires policies that are pro-natal, that allow families to arise and thrive and give children hope and ambition so that when they encounter the difficulties of school, and school is difficult for a lot of children, uh, they see themselves as obliged to meet those difficulties and rise above them.
0: And if there is, uh, and as as you've said, that we, we can't really be sure that there is a genuine revolt against DEI happening uh, across America yet. Uh, but if there is such a thing, and it seems like th- there's certainly something going on, um, I wonder, I always ask you about your book, uh, A Bee in the Mouth, Anger in America Today. Um, I think, uh, I wonder wh- how you feel about this new sort of conservative activism or right-wing activism that is quite angry uh, and is not willing um, to settle for anything less than victory. Does it trouble you? Does it worry you?
1: It worries me to the extent that the uh, great institutional powers in America, not just the universities, but the whole Washington, D.C. apparatus, our law enforcement authorities, especially the FBI, uh, appear to be uh, spoiling for uh a fight which will involve violence and turmoil. I, I of course, would much rather see a peaceful transfer of power to the more sensible portions of the American populace. Uh, It's going to be difficult to have that peaceful transfer when the FBI is busy uh, locking people up for uh, crimes of sedition and of uh, uh, interfering with proper elections on very suppositious grounds. We are uh, seeing a system of uh, brute power being marshaled against people who are perfectly legitimate dissenters within uh, the American Republic. And once you have outlawed dissent, uh, you are setting the stage for revolt. Now, I don't think that revolt arises primarily from Trump or his supporters or anybody else on the right. I, I think it arises from a, a growing realization that they have been uh, denied a legitimate voice in the governance of the country. Uh, and by governance, I mean not simply how elections are run, but how our major institutions are run. We see over and over again um whether it's uh, the Hollywood and the uh, television world or book publishing, um, the mass media, uh, all seem to be aligned solidly on the idea that our democracy is at risk from having people uh, genuinely free to express their views. Now, I I try to walk a careful line here. I do not want to be cornered into uh, supporting one, party or candidate, but I certainly see that the anger in America has a a legitimate uh, base and that it has been fomented by the tactics of the establishment uh, to the point where we easily could have a more serious breakdown of order in the country. Um, Why it is that uh, President Biden and uh, others in his administration seem to welcome that and are, are thirsting for the, uh, the breakdown of such order uh, baffles me. But I, I understand that uh, we are headed in that direction. So if you're asking me if I'm worried, the answer is yes.
0: Well, on that uh, uh, worrying note, uh, we'll end it there. Thank you very much, uh, Peter Wood. Please come on again uh, in this year of elections and possible counter-revolutions. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of the Americano podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a generous review. Don't be unkind. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Feroz. And Natasha has just reminded me uh, that if you want to be like her and work uh, for The Spectator's brilliant broadcast division, there is a job going to be a spectator producer. Uh, it's a wonderful department and they're doing incredible things so natasha can now put the, uh, down the gun that is put <laughs> next to my head uh do apply i should add uh, for this job can be found in the bit of blurb on your screen under this podcast